With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. This is Husker Online, your authority on Nebraska athletics. In this weekly show, the Husker Online team will give you the latest insight on Husker football, basketball, baseball, and of course, recruiting. Now, here's your host, Husker Online publisher, Sean Callahan. Hello and Welcome again to another edition of the Husker Online Show. Sean Callahan, and later I'll be joined by both Nate Klaus and Robin Washett as we are all doing the show remotely here. But uh, also Mike Farrell is going to join me as uh, the godfather of recruiting, uh, the head recruiting voice and analyst here for Rivals.com will join me for two segments as we will hit on a number of different topics involving Nebraska, the Big Ten, the transfer portal. I promise you will not want to miss my conversation with Mike Farrell because he's always very opinionated. He always has a lot of takes, and uh, you're going to want to listen to what Mike Farrell has to say. But lots of roster movement here. I want to get to out of the gates here in the show. Uh, Nebraska had a transfer portal entry this week, and defensive lineman Keem Green, not really a surprise. Uh, Keem Green only played four total snaps over Nebraska's final four games. Um, you know, you, you kind of thought this was a guy – that was going to do more, uh, but it just never happened. He just was not able to break through. And I think in all reality, you had guys like Casey Rogers and Ty Robinson emerge this year. Then you had Ben Stilley. Those were your key three guys. And, and Green was the odd man out, particularly with the scheme Nebraska was playing. They only used two defensive linemen a lot this year. Um, so the third D lineman just wasn't out there very often. And Keem Green is going to look for other opportunities. He's just the second portal entry the Huskers have had since December 1, Bo Wilson being the other. And Bo Wilson, as you know, is a, a fifth-year senior uh, that could come back for a six-year. Was not going to start uh, more than likely in 2021. So Wilson uh, put his name in the portal on Christmas Eve, and he will look for another option as well. Uh, we also learned two more Husker seniors will not be back in 2021. DiCaprio Boodle and Jack Stahl. Uh, you know, Boodle and Stahl both going to tackle the draft process. I'll tell you, when you look at DiCaprio Boodle, his durability is what really jumps out to me. This is a guy that's played over 2,000 snaps of football for Scott Frost. He's literally played almost every single snap under this coaching staff. He was second in total snaps played this past year. He led the Huskers in total snaps both in 2018 and 2019. In 2018, he played almost 900 snaps over 12 games. So got a lot of repetition, made 32 consecutive starts, played in 44 games, there really wasn't much more for DiCaprio Boodle that he was going to do to probably improve his overall stock. Arguably, his best year was a sophomore year. He had 15 pass breakups that led the Big Ten Conference. That was second all-time uh, for the Huskers in school history. Um, but he's going to try to get a chance. Um, I don't know if he'll get a combine invite, but you know he's going to run well. He's probably going to be a 4-4 guy. 
As for Jack Stoll, um, makes sense as well. I, I think the way the tight end room was shaping with Thomas Fedoni coming in, Travis Volkolek on the come, Austin Allen obviously back again in 2021. I just felt like Stoll said, you know what, it's time. It's time for me to move on and see what I can do at the next level. He was playing pretty good football down the stretch. Uh, so I'll be intrigued to see what Jack Stoll is able to do here as he goes into the draft process. So what's next? Nebraska right now, uh, they're moving forward here with their offseason. Obviously, we know there's not a bowl game coming up, um, but the semester doesn't start until January 25th. It's a very late start to the spring semester. The players will be back in Lincoln about a week before that. And then from there, you're going to see Nebraska have about an eight to nine week winter conditioning program. They, they want to utilize that time frame. There is no spring break this year. There are no days off. The semester will be 15 straight weeks with finals convening on Friday, May 6th. So what you're going to see is Nebraska start spring practice this year later than we've ever seen uh, really in history or modern-day history. Uh, Nebraska will not open up spring practice until the last week of March, and then they will go five straight weeks today with a minute with a spring game set for May 1 and that is the latest possible date they could have a red white game at Nebraska because you can't have practices going into the final examinations week and I like it for a lot of reasons I think number one it's going to give Nebraska's newcomers more time in the weight room it's going to give them more time in the meeting rooms just to learn and study behind the scenes and then you know number two the weather I mean they, they can get outside I mean it was getting to the point because of spring break, you'd have a spring ball practice sometimes start like on February 28th. And that, that's just not ideal for weather in Lincoln, Nebraska. So I, I think by really having your spring practice this year over the month of April with a May 1 spring game, it makes a lot of sense. And you know, unfortunately, you can't do it this way every year. But because of the recruiting calendar, coaches will not be out on the road uh, more than likely in April, and maybe they'll be out in May, uh, but we don't know. We don't know those questions, but you know, May 1, maybe they'll say visitors can come back to your campus. Well, guess what? The spring game is going to be May 1, so Nebraska might be able to have visitors on their campus again, so lots to chew on there with that, but I think it makes sense for a lot of reasons, uh, especially with the way the season went so late. Give the players more time off as well before you pat it back up, then maybe we'll also be on the other side of COVID-19 by April. Obviously, it's still going to be around. It's not going anywhere officially. But maybe in April, we're going to be, and hopefully, we're going to be in a much better place um, for the start of spring practice. And by May 1, who knows how many people can be in Memorial Stadium for that spring game. Uh, that will be a decision that would be made by the Lancaster County Health Department. The Big Ten would not have a say-so in the crowd at the spring game. So, I'm just intrigued on that end of it. How many Nebraska people are just going to say, you know what, playing the spring game May 1, it's going to be 70 degrees out, 65 degrees out. Let's go have the tailgate party we never could have this past year and go to the red-white game. Um, that will be something kind of interesting to follow to see what that will be like just having a later spring game. We learned the volleyball schedule this week as well for Nebraska. It's going to be a conference-only weekend doubleheader deal where uh, other than the Iowa series, which is Wednesday, Saturday, Nebraska will play two games or two matches on Friday, Saturday. So um, 11 weeks of two matches per week uh, rolling into the NCAA tournament. I would expect baseball to be very similar. The format being talked about for baseball 
is 11 weeks of four-game Big Ten-only series, so 44 Big Ten games that would be played on Friday, Saturday, Sunday with a doubleheader worked in there somewhere. So uh, the Big Ten very much into a league-only schedule other than basketball, which was able to play um, five or six non-conference games this year, and volleyball learned that here this week. Um, So lots to look at. Iowa had their bowl game canceled, too. That was a a storyline of the week. Um, And and you kind of feel for the Hawkeyes. I mean, this was a game that they stayed back for. They prepared over Christmas. Missouri sent their kids home for Christmas. They came back. COVID-19 happens. And they say it had nothing to do with sending their players home, but still unfortunate. And Kind of shocking to me that they let their kids go home um, in the middle of a protocol knowing um, that they were going to come back and have to get ready for a bowl game. So Iowa without a bowl game, only four Big Ten teams play total in bowls. We saw Wisconsin play on Wednesday. Uh, Started out slow but came out strong in the end uh, to handle Wake Forest 42-28 to as Paul Christ has been money in bowl games. He's had his team play very well in the bowl games um, obviously, the the championship game or the playoffs will be what we're going to be watching closely here in the coming days. Ohio State, a big underdog right now to Clemson, so that's that's one to watch closely to see if the Buckeyes can rise up to the challenge. But uh, the Big Ten has a pretty good chance, I think, in all of their bowl games. I think Northwestern uh, can beat Ole Miss, and then I think Indiana uh, can easily win their game as well. So. Uh, That will be something to watch. But just four teams playing in bowls now from the Big Ten. We've had 19 bowl games canceled this year overall. All right, when we come back, Mike Farrell from Rivals.com is going to join me. You're listening here to the Husker Online Show. You're listening to the Husker Online Show, your authority on Nebraska athletics. And we're back here on this final 2020 edition of the Husker Online Show. Sean Callahan and I told you we'll be joined here by Rivals.com's Mike Farrell. It's always a pleasure uh, to be joined by Mike Farrell, who many years ago, we, we were spending this time, Mike, um, in Courtyard Marriott's in San Antonio uh, going to Army All-American Bowl practices. And it doesn't feel like that long ago, but boy, uh, 2020 is a lot different for you right now. Yes, first time in 20-plus years that I haven't been on the road for New Year's. So it's kind of cool, but uh, but you miss the All-Star games because that's such an important evaluation piece. So it, it sucks in a lot of ways. Mike, do we have any idea at all what kind of mess 2020 is going to cause to rosters, to recruiting? Uh, obviously, everyone signed healthy numbers and have loaded up, but nobody knows these kids. Nobody has seen these kids. Camps didn't happen a lot of things that typically help evaluations did not happen. I mean, do we have any idea what this is going to be like when it's all said and done? We assume it's going to be a mess. Um, we assume that the portal, you know, at the end of next season is going to go crazy. Um, you know, but we also don't know when it's going to be fixed. I mean, if, if I could tell you right now that we're going to have a normal spring and a normal evaluation period, normal camps, and then summer camps for colleges and true evaluations during the football season, then I could say, okay, we can kind of plan for the end of the first year for the 2021 class to be a little bit crazy. But this could go into the spring, and if it goes into the spring, it's going to affect the 2022 class. So um, I think for the next few years, roster management is going to be a bit of a nightmare. When you look at just the recruiting calendar, I mean, the NCAA, it appears they want a one-size-fit-all, meaning until California, until places like that are 
fully open for business, you know, everyone's going to be held back. I mean, do you get the sense, I mean, at best, maybe we're looking at an April or maybe a May 1 where coaches could go on the road for an evaluation period? I hope so. Periods extended till April 15th, you know, which slides right into the spring evaluation period. Um, you know, it, it's funny because the NCAA was delaying it by a month at first, you know, oh, Back in March, everybody was like, oh, maybe we'll be back to normal in four weeks. You know, we didn't know. Nobody knows. Um, and then they did it, you know, a couple months. And then they finally just threw in the towel at the middle of the season. and just said, you know what, April 15th, forget this. You know, we're not doing in-home visits in December as usual. We're not doing official visits. It's over for 2021. Now let's see if we can get back to normal for 2022. But um, I just don't know there's so many differing strategies to deal with the pandemic or California obviously is extremely conservative and, and other places are very aggressive like Florida that you can rely upon everybody becoming uniformed in doing this um, because some States could take months and months and months to, you know, open things up. Whereas other States are ready to roll now. So it's a difficult uh, prospect for them, and I'll tell you what: for, for teams like Nebraska, it kills them because you need to get those kids on campus. You need to get the visits. Um, you need to get in high schools. It's it's not a program. This isn't Ohio State where you can just sort of pick kids and they're going to commit to you sight unseen. Um, it's really important to get that that in-person evaluation and relationship going. And um, the rich are just going to get richer as long as this goes on. We're talking to Mike Farrell here of Rivals.com as we're addressing many recruiting topics uh, going on. And, and you mentioned Nebraska, Mike, and you know they, they survived this 2021 class. Obviously, they didn't have a great year, but they survived it because of the local talent. It was probably one of the better years we've seen in this footprint between Iowa and Nebraska and South Dakota and places like that, that they got a bulk of their class. And, you know, it's another good year in the region. But you're right. I mean, I agree with you, Mike. If Nebraska can't get kids in for a spring game, if they can't, you know, and I'm hearing maybe their spring game will be May 1 right now. They're going to try to go as late as they can possibly go. If they can't get them on campus for camps and um, kind of debunk the stereotypes of Nebraska to a kid, um, they're in for a long ride. Yeah, and you can't rely on regional talent uh, if you're Nebraska. You know, it, it's obviously nice to get some in-state kids. It's nice to go into Iowa and pull out a few kids and, and the Dakotas. Um, you know, and you'd like to see them do a little bit better in in Missouri. Um, but you can't rely on that. I mean, you need to have kids come from Texas or Florida or California or Georgia. Um, you know, and that requires a trip and you know to get there on an official visit isn't so easy as you know i mean you gotta fly and drive to get there on an unofficial visit is very very difficult for for kids um during the pandemic so i I think for regional recruiting it helps you've seen schools like wisconsin and iowa take advantage of it nebraska to an extent as well Uh, when you're talking about building a roster that's going to compete for a division title that's where out-of-state recruiting is so crucial, and that's where I think they're you know, at a huge disadvantage right now. We're talking recruiting here with Mike Farrell, and you, know, you, you just look at the Big Ten in general, and Ohio State once again 
you know, stacks up by far the best class. I mean, do you, and then Michigan's got lots of problems and questions. Penn State had a down year, obviously, for their standards. I mean, big picture, where is this league? Is it basically turning into the ACC where it's Clemson and everyone else? Or do you think there can be a, a close second-place team right now? Um, it's not quite where the ACC is because, you know, the, the, the secondary programs haven't fallen off as badly. <clears throat> I mean, Florida State went from a national title contender to just the biggest dumpster fire in college football. And Miami went from dominating the Big East to never winning the ACC. And, you know, those are that's steep drops. You know, Virginia Tech as well as a program that sort of dropped a little bit. Um, the Big Ten hasn't had that. I think, you know, Penn State's bad season is an aberration. Uh, Michigan is sort of treading water with Jim Harbaugh, and that might not change. Uh, Wisconsin's always a threat uh, in the West. Um, and you've had some teams pop up here and there that have strengthened the conference. You know, Minnesota last year, and, and you know, Iowa's been pretty consistent. But the talent gap at the top to the next closest team is is, is ACC-like in the way that Ohio State's going to finish top five in recruiting and pick and choose who they want and then go into the Southeast and, and battle. Uh, Clemson's going to do the same thing. The second-best team recruiting-wise in the ACC is Miami, and that's because of all the local talent staying home because of the pandemic. Um I guess the second best team is Michigan in the Big Ten. And they're just, you know, all over the map when it comes to recruiting and, and, and they're just a bit of a mess. So uh it's Ohio State for the foreseeable future. Um and, and that being said, they still don't look that impressive this year. I mean, they almost lost to Indiana. They struggle with Northwestern. It's amazing that, you know, a shortened season can do that much to a talented roster. Because Ohio State clearly has the most talented roster, but man, I wasn't overly impressed with them this year. Yeah, and, and Mike, you look at the playoff too. I mean, I think six, seven years ago, we thought this is the greatest thing we've done for the game, but in some ways, it's hurt the game because it's eliminated large portions of the country from contention. Yeah, and, and that's going to be the case for a while. Um, you know, as long as Nick Saban's there, Alabama's going to be a competitor. And if they're not, someone from the SEC West is going to be in the playoff. And, and you know, the SEC is always going to possibly get two teams in there. Um, on and on it goes. So, you know, when you look at teams rising up, Michigan State got in the playoff. That was a bit of a surprise. Um, you know, Oregon made a run one year. But it's mostly the same schools over and over again. And again, I think this year we're going to have a repeat of Alabama and Clemson in the title game. And that's not good for, for parody or for college football. Um, it makes it more difficult. The great equalizer here, a lot of people think could be the transfer portal, but it could be the opposite. I mean, a kid could be a star at a, at a mid-level or lower level power five school and just say, you know what, I want to spend my next two years at Alabama. I'm going to go there because they put all the kids in the pros and it could make Alabama even better than they are now, which is scary. So I'm really not sure what's going to occur to, to have any sort of parity in college football short of just that this is cyclical and eventually it's going to change just by, by a matter of course, but you're right. I mean, it's the same teams over and over again. All right, we're going to pick up this conversation here after the break. More with Mike Farrell. You're listening here to the Husker Online Show. 
You're listening to the Husker Online Show, your authority on Nebraska athletics. And we're back here on the Husker Online Show. Sean Callahan and still joined by Rivals.com's Mike Farrell. And Mike, uh, over the break here, we were talking about uh, just Nebraska recruiting in general. And, and just from your view, I mean, you've kind of witnessed the following of Calabrasca and now the following of the Florida kids here, particularly in Miami. What is just your 10,000-foot view of, of those situations and you know why, particularly the, the latest one with these Florida kids, wh- why did it fail with these Miami kids um, like Marcus Fleming and Jaden Francois and Ronald Delancey and some of the recent ones that have left Lincoln? Well, here's the thing. If you go off to a place that is far away, and it's completely opposite of what you're used to. So Miami to Lincoln, um, weather, culture, everything. And things don't go your way instantly. And, and you're not catered to the way you are at, say, an Ohio State in Columbus, where you know you're going to be a pro. You know you're going to win 12 games. You know you're going to be in the playoffs. You know this, that, the other. This, these guys, they just bail. They stop working. They, they, they look around and they're like, what am I doing here? Why am I here? And instead of just digging down deeper and becoming, you know, more determined and better players, they just quit and they just transfer. And that's kind of what you see from California. And now it's kind of what you see from Florida. It's a very risky proposition unless you're, uh, you know, Iowa does a good job of it. Minnesota does a good job of it, but they're taking three-star kids traditionally to take a four star from South Florida to Nebraska, you better a, you know, coddle to him B you better see the field immediately and C you better win because that's what they want. And if not, they'll just bolt. Were you surprised? I mean, Marcus Fleming and Jaden Francois, I mean, the little, you probably got to follow their recruitment and, and just the Miami Northwestern guy in general. I mean, a, were you surprised they got like four, four stars last year to come up here from Miami then B, were you surprised pretty much all of them already left? Uh, very surprised that they landed them and very surprised that they all left. Now, if you said like two out of four left, then I'd be like, well, okay, you know, you take your shot. But all of them, that's that's the situation. Now, again, you could say it's a pandemic, it's COVID, maybe you want to be closer to home, blah, blah, blah. I still think this would have happened in a non-pandemic year where these guys probably wouldn't have stuck. And, and I think the transfer portal has made it so easy for kids to give up, unfortunately. It's almost like every NCAA rule that's passed kind of backfires. Um, the portal's made it easier for kids to just give up and quit and just go someplace else. Uh, and I think that's probably the last thing they need. Now, I don't want them stuck where they don't want to be, and I don't want them to have to sit out a year for no reason. But I do think that the portal itself, just giving all access to every place, uh, is not the best idea for kids like that who are going far from home. Mike, when you study the portal and, and what you know about it now, how many Power 5 kids, like if you had to just throw a ballpark percent, how many Power 5 kids end up at another Power 5 typically, if you had to throw out a percent? Uh, well, I would say it's probably 20%, and it's not a high percentage. Um, usually when a Power 5 kid goes in, the first thing I do is I check his background to see has he got any off-field issues. And then the second thing I check is see why he didn't 
you know, project or, or, or succeed at the school he was at. And then I do an estimate as to, is this a group of five or is he dropping to FCS or lower? Um, and then I do the opposite for the FCS and the, and the group of five kids. Can they jump up to the power five level? Crossing power five to power five doesn't happen as often as you think. Um, Cause there's just not room and people don't want to take a chance on a kid that's underachieved at a school when they could take a chance on a kid who's overachieved at a smaller school. And, and that's the work ethic that comes into play. So, you know, if you're a power five kid, you jump in the portal, there's a very good chance you're dropping a level in competition. When we're talking here to Mike Farrell here, as we discuss uh, the transfer portal and that rule of 25, I mean, I think it's becoming more and more an issue. It used to be, you know, it was hard to always sign 25, but now 25 is not enough because of the portal. I mean, do you envision eventually that there's going to be some sort of credit you get for portal losses or maybe you get like half a number per? So if you lose two in the portal, maybe you get one back so you can take 26 or just something to help teams because getting to a healthy 85 with the rule of 25 seems like it's almost next to impossible. Well, I think and it, we're in an economic downfall right now, obviously, with the pandemic. But I, I think a perfect world is, is increasing the number of scholarship players on each roster. Now, the problem is for every school that can afford to do that, there's a couple that can't afford to do that. Um, but, you know, I don't want to I don't want to get into what we see sometimes in hockey or some of the non-revenue sports where it's, uh, you know, I'll give you a two for four. So, you know, we're going to put you on scholarship for two years and two years you're paying yourself. Um, and I don't want to see you lost two to the portal. So you get one full one back. That's kind of, that can be manipulated. Um, and, and the smartest people in the world um, are, are going to be hired to manipulate that. If that occurs, uh, what we've got here is we've got cap space in college football. That's what we've got. We've got free agency and cap space. And, now you're going to start to see analysts hired to negotiate that and deal with that. The problem is fitting 85 into a box where about a hundred should be, there's going to be a big challenge. So you mentioned you have to sign 25. I think you sign less and, and hold back six or seven scholarships for the portal. And, and that's what some schools are doing. Um, whereas other schools are just filling up. So, different strategies are going to lead to different results and it's going to be just a mess. So you've at the group of five level, like at a FAU or an FIU where, you know, there's just tons of talented kids from Florida that want to come back home. I mean, that to me, it seems like that is their approach now. Like we got to hold back five or 10 for kids that don't make it at Nebraska or don't make it um, in the Midwest or somewhere far away from home. Yeah. But also at the power five level, that's, that's being done as well. I talked to Herm Edwards on signing day. Um, Arizona State, you know, in their cap management of free agency, as he calls it, are holding back six scholarships this year alone for the portal itself. Um, and they're obviously not a group of five school where kids would just drop down and go back home. They're a power five school that's actually had a fairly good amount of success over the last couple of years. But they see so many valuable kids going into that portal that they look at that and say, okay, I've got six kids here in high school that are maybe our B, C list guys or C, D list guys. Do I want to go on them and take a chance that they're going to develop or do I want to hold those five or six scholarships for someone that I know can play at the college level from that group of five or FCS 
and and his strategy is to hold those scholarships back. And there's other schools doing that too. So it really depends on your strategy. And Mike, you mentioned a coach. I wanted to ask you about another coach, uh, the new hire in the Big Ten, Brett Bielema. Are you buying or selling that one? Do you think he can refine the magic he had at Wisconsin, or was that magic all because of Barry Alvarez, and we're going to find out maybe it's going to look like Arkansas, but he's going to probably have a harder time getting recruits to Illinois? Yeah, it's going to be Arkansas. I think it's a good hire because he's an experienced guy and he's been at the Big Ten level recruiting rather than taking a chance on you know some group of five coaches had one good year. Um, but they're not going to really go anywhere. So I think it's a good stopgap. Have Bielema in there for three years, four years, let him. The problem is that he's going to build his roster his way, which means there's going to be massive offensive linemen, lots of running backs and lots of game managers at quarterback. And then the new guy's going to come in and try to put in a spread. And it's going to take the new guy two years to undo everything. But he's not going to have the success that they need at Illinois. It's not going to be Wisconsin. That was Alvarez. Um, but again, I, I don't think they could have got a better hire when you're talking about a guy who can come in and maybe make them relevant right away. Um, but the West is getting better, uh, and that's an issue. <laughs> How about Jeff Brom, though? I mean, that one has really cooled off. I mean, he fires Bob Diaco after one season. Uh, they had massive guy, a number of players opt out right before the Nebraska game. His star has really fallen, and now Rondell Moore is obviously off to the NFL. They do have David Bell back next year, um, but he's kind of got an interesting 2021 ahead of him. Yeah, and he was a guy, you know, everybody was talking about for the Louisville job, of course, but also the Tennessee job, a lot of different jobs he was linked with now. His star isn't shining as much, but, you know, listen, hiring Bob Diaco was the problem, and <laughs> if if you don't know not to do that, then I can't help you because – Diaco had success at Notre Dame, okay? And, and everything came together that year with that tremendous defense of theirs. Beyond that, he's just a wild card and always has been and just one of those quirky guys that has a system that will work one out of six times. So that's kind of on Brom if he didn't know that. And if that's going to be part of what hurts him, then he kind of made his own bed with that one. Well, Mike, uh, we appreciate the time here and uh, hope you had a good holiday and have a happy new year here. And I'm sure the lovely uh, subscribers here on the Red Sea Scrolls are going to look forward to hearing what you had to say here on the show. Yeah, I'm just going to I'm going to swing by one day and just say hi to all of them and see if they hate me or love me that day. But it's really one of my favorite message boards because it is absolutely insane it's 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 complete insanity, as you know. Well, I'm holding all your Christmas cards for you, Mike. So next time I see you, I'll, I'll drop them off. I'm sure there's at least a bunch of coal, right? <laughs> All right. Well, more to come here. You're listening to the Husker Online Show. You're listening to the Husker Online Show, your authority on Nebraska athletics. My faith is high in this group, and it always will be. However many games we win this year because they work, and they love to play, and they love to compete, and they love being in the gym. And, and that's where it starts as a competitor, is when you go in there and you take it personal and you do everything you can to pull yourself out of it. Uh, you know, I see a team that comes in every day ready to work, and they practice extremely hard. I know, you know, that's lip service right now because it's not carrying over into the games. But, you know, I see a group that cares 
and I see a group that wants to get things turned around. I saw it in energy uh, on our bench in the first half, and you see it around the league right now. The team that gives more energy without an atmosphere uh, are the teams that are winning right now. I saw that in the two games uh, that were played last night in our league. To answer your question, Robin, do I have faith? Absolutely, I do, because I see these guys and I see how they work on a daily basis. And welcome back here to the Husker Online Show. Nebraska basketball, as you just heard, uh, 90 to 54 loser at Ohio State. The Big Red now 0-3 in Big Ten Conference play. This segment of the Husker Online Show brought to you by Tanner Sports Bar and Grill on 30th and Yankee Hill. Get on into Tanner's, watch all of the college football action and the NFL action here over the weekend as uh, tons of big games, uh, both the college football playoff and the NFL Week 17 matchups. Uh, so get on into Tanner's as it is your premier sports bar in Lincoln. But let's bring in Robin Washett. Robin, you asked that question to Fred Hoiberg. And, man, that was a stinker. I mean, I don't think anyone, Robin, is necessarily surprised Nebraska basketball is 0-3 to start out conference play. They were underdogs by good margins in all three of these games. But I think people thought maybe we'd be beyond a 90-54 to type of game where, I mean, the game was over with really – by about the uh, under sixteen timeout in the in the first half. Yeah, I mean that's a new low point certainly for this season. And considering that we are in technically the year two, you can make the case that this is the new low point of the Fred Hoiberg era, where uh, just when you thought that uh, you know the roster was assembled to the point where they would be more competitive in this league and um, you know be able to avoid these just <laughs> debacles. Uh, that we saw on Wednesday night, you know, a game like that happens where Nebraska just didn't do anything right whatsoever, offensively, defensively. They look completely disinterested, out of sorts. There was no communication, no ball movement, no flow uh, on offense. And then defensively, you know, they just kind of were going through the motions. And uh, when that kind of stuff starts to happen, that is, the, about as big of a red flag as you can get. And right now, Nebraska, you know, they're three games into the 20 game league schedule, and they're at a pretty serious crossroads right now because it will not get any easier. You could make the case that, you know, even though Ohio State is technically 25th in the country, that was a game Nebraska probably had as good of a chance to win as they will the rest of the way. And for them to have that type of performance, it really eliminates uh, a lot of optimism that you know you may still have had about them being able to turn this thing around the fact that they're getting progressively worse and once as we saw last year these losses start to pile up uh, things can get uh, very ugly very quickly and like I said Wednesday night was a low point but uh, if they don't figure out some stuff very quickly uh, that could become the norm the rest of the way. We're talking to Robin Washington here uh, about Nebraska basketball and their loss uh, here against Ohio State and by the way Robin they get Michigan State on Saturday, who's 0-3 in the Big Ten Conference play. You don't think Tom Izzo's going to have that team charged up to get their first conference win on Saturday night? Yeah, no kidding. That's probably the best 0-3 team ever in Big Ten history because people were picking Michigan State to be a Final Four contender going into the year. And so, yeah, Michigan State will have something to prove in a major way. Uh, and that's why I say, you know, Nebraska can't, you know, if they're going to turn this thing around, they better do it very quickly because uh, a loss, like the Ohio State one can uh, replicate very quickly in this league, especially uh, when you open with four straight ranked opponents. I mean, that can knock you out right out of the gates. And uh, with the way that Nebraska, like I said, is seemingly starting to regress, 
um, you know, with, with every one of these losses, uh, they have a real challenge on their hands on Saturday to, uh, if they don't win, find a way to at least be competitive and keep this um, a respectable game into the final minutes. Uh, because if they don't, like I said, Michigan State's going to be on a mission and uh, they'll be ready to put a hurting on them. Robin, I think what really jumped out to me um, just on the final numbers of the loss to Ohio State just three assists. I mean, you've been you've been around a lot of basketball. You've covered a lot of basketball, and you've watched a lot. You probably spent more time watching Nebraska basketball than most the last fifteen years. Um, have, you, have you ever have you ever seen have you ever seen just three assists in a final box score before? Uh, not that I can remember. And to you know, kind of further that point, Fred Hoiberg said he can't remember a game uh, that he's ever been a part of as a head coach, win or lose where a team had a 3-15 to assist to turnover ratio, where they only made 17 shots and went 5 of 33 from three-point range. I mean, that, like I said, that was, that was probably as bad as a, of an offensive performance as you could possibly have. Uh, I mean, just in every sense. They, they didn't move the ball. The shots weren't falling. They didn't get to the free-throw line enough. Uh, really, you know, all the things you need to do to be successful, especially in the Big Ten, on the road against a top 25 opponent, Nebraska was nowhere close to executing at the level that it needed to. And yeah, I mean, I've seen a lot of stinkers over the years where Nebraska has looked completely inept, but uh, this is right up there uh, as one of the worst, just because of the fact that Nebraska didn't do anything right whatsoever from start to finish. We're talking Nebraska basketball here with Robin Washed, and you know the Michigan game. There were some moments where you're like, okay. But you could still, just mm-hmm. from the, the naked eye, when you watch that Michigan game, Michigan was getting better shots. They just weren't making them. And then they finally started making them. And Nebraska was making shots, but they probably weren't good shots when, when you when you break it down in basketball terms. Yeah, well, especially with just the way that first half went, where you know, Teddy Allen scores 21 points in the first half. Uh, Nebraska was kind of standing around watching, just letting Teddy go to work. And when he's shooting like that, that's fine because he has that ability to take the game over. But when those shots stopped falling for him and, you know, Michigan clamped down on Teddy, there was nobody else uh, able to step up. You know, Trey McGowan's had 15 points, but uh, really he that was it. And that's when the game started to get away from him where um, when it comes down to Nebraska having to actually execute its offensive system and have – the proper ball movement and uh, you know set up good looks. They're really struggling right now. And you know, on top of that, though, the first half at least they were getting a lot of good shots. Guys were just straight up missing. I mean, they were wide open three pointers. In fact, you know, Delano Banton had a, a real off night. I think he was like three of ten from the field. Um, but Fred said that a lot of his looks, those are exactly the shots they want him taking, and he's just missing. And so. That's the other part of it is not only are they not executing the offense the way they're supposed to, when they do get good looks, they're just flat out missing. And I think a lot of that comes down to this team just not being confident whatsoever. They're hoping shots go in as opposed to shooting with confidence and believing they're going to go in. And I think that comes back to, to the trust factor where you know these guys are not only uh, having doubts in themselves, being able to go make winning plays and, and, and do the things necessary to win games, they don't necessarily trust their teammates either. Um, you know, that was a point Jeff Settles made during the, the Big Ten broadcast at halftime. And, you know, I asked Fred about that straight up and, and Ivan Wadrogo as well. And, you know, they both said that there's still confidence and there's still trust, but 
Nebraska's sure not playing like it. And you can see with the total lack of ball movement and the hesitancy in which guys are shooting, where they're forcing the issue, um, the, those are the signs of a team that uh, is playing with no confidence and no trust. And that's like, that's probably the biggest issue right now uh, looking forward to the next 17 games. Well, Nebraska basketball will be home on Saturday, 7 o'clock game on the BTN uh, against Michigan State. Then they're back on the road Tuesday for a 6 o'clock game at Purdue. Robin, uh, hope you have a happy new year, and we'll see you on the other side, and hopefully 2021 is better to us all than 2020. Yeah, I don't know how it could get any worse, so at least there's <laughs> that, right? We, we, this, this is rock bottom, right? No, only up from here. Well, hey, thank you, Robin. Uh, when we come back, we'll close the show with some recruiting and Nate Klaus. You're listening here to the Husker Online Show. This is Husker Online, your authority on Nebraska athletics. And we're back here on the Husker Online Show. Sean Callahan now joined by Nate Klaus here. Final segment of our 2020 shows here, Nate, and uh, talking some recruiting. And uh, we're going to get some news here over the weekend potentially to watch. Uh, Nebraska is in line to get their first commit or recruit from Hawaii. Uh, we'll find out on NBC. It's a 2 o'clock show. Rivals.com's Mike Farrell's involved. Um, there's a lot of eyeballs here as Nebraska could land the number one player in Hawaii on Saturday. Yeah, Wendon Ho'u'uli is going to be making his decision, um, you know, on on television, and you know it's a, a little bit unfortunate for him. You know, there were a lot of these guys they were planning on doing so at the actual, um, you know, Adidas All American Bowl, uh, which used to be the, the Army All American game. So, um, you know, but obviously all those All Star games and All American games have been canceled, but. Um, yeah, Nebraska's got a chance to not only add a really good player, but to really, you know, kind of boost a position that is uh, that they're in desperate need of adding, uh, you know, some players at, and that's that outside linebacker position, you know, especially after they lost a uh, Will Schweitzer and uh, Patrick Payton, uh, two guys at that position that were previously committed. So, um, you know, I think right now, if you're grading that position, It'd be it'd be pretty low, uh, but if they're able to add wind into it, uh, I think that uh, that changes the complexion uh, a great deal. Let me ask you this, Nate: How does he project in the three-four as an outside linebacker? I mean, can he be a JoJo Doman type, or is he more of a Garrett Nelson, Caleb Tanner type? When you kind of break down his skill set, yeah, you know, he's not he's not quite a JoJo Doman type, and, and there aren't very many that are. Um, that, that have the ability, you know, to uh, to cover, uh, you know, and kind of get after the quarterback and, and you know, different things. Really, never have to come off the field. But I also wouldn't say that he's, um, you know, quite like a Garrett Nelson either. I think, I think he's somebody. Honestly, I think he's somebody that could project as an inside linebacker or outside linebacker. He's six three, two hundred twenty pounds. Uh, he runs very well. He can cover. Uh, but I, I think that he does have the ability to uh, to be disruptive off the edge. Maybe not quite the height and length that the that the staff would ideally like to have at that position. Uh, but there's no question he's he's a very athletic and, and talented kid. And um, again, he could do a lot of different things. And you know, we've kind of seen that up front along the defensive line, where they're 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 recruiting kids that that can do a lot of different things. And um, and I think we're kind of starting to see that a little bit at the linebacker position too, 
uh, especially in this recruiting class where there's a couple different linebackers in the class already that could obviously project as an inside linebacker, but may also be able to, to play that outside spot. And I think Wyndon can do that too. We're talking to Husker Lions, Nate Klaus here as we wrap up 2020 with some recruiting talk, Nate. And boy, they're playing football late in the state of Georgia. Uh, Gabe Irvin and his team wrapped up a championship on Tuesday. Uh, just from what you saw and read about the game, uh, what were your thoughts on what the Huskers' future running back recruit Gabe Irvin was able to do this season? Yeah, well, well, first of all, I think you've got to be impressed with the type of program that Gabe Irvin is coming from, and Malik Williams, for that matter, the cornerback signee out of out of Buford High School. But, but uh, you know, Gabe Irvin is has been a leader uh, on on that Buford team now for a couple of different couple of years. Um, they've now won back to back state championships. Uh, last year they won it in Class Five A, and then this year they won it in in Six A which is the second largest class in all of Georgia. And, and there is a lot of really, really good players there. So uh, you're talking about a winner. You are uh, talking about a kid that has played at a very high level against uh, great competition um, and been super productive. I mean, and at the right times of the year, too. In the four games leading up to the state championship game on Tuesday night, uh, he, he rushed 35 times for 320 yards and seven touchdowns. Um, and you know, if that's not putting the team on your back in the playoffs in the most important time of the year, I, I don't know what is. And uh, what's most impressive about that too is in most of those games, he didn't even play all four quarters. He, he if, if anything, uh, there's a couple games where he didn't even play all of the first half uh, because uh, he he got the the team off to a hot start and and they were able to to rest him. So, um, but he he's somebody who can can do it all really. Uh, and, and I liked in the state championship game, he showed his ability to catch the football and, and to run after the catch. He had three catches for 63 yards. Uh, one of which was a 48 yard, uh, uh, reception that set up the, uh, the go ahead score there for Buford. So uh, against Lee County, which was, uh, and Lee, Lee County was ranked the number one team in, in the state. So, uh, you know, really impressive senior season and, um, you know, and, and he'll be in Lincoln in just a few weeks. Yeah, Nate, let's talk about that. This is uh, arguably by far the largest group of early enrollees that will come into Lincoln. And it's a different calendar because of t- 2020. The semester starts later. Classes don't begin until January 25th. So spring ball, there's no spring break to worry about. The Huskers are going to take spring ball, as I talked about at the, st- at the top of the show in my 3-2-1 this week as well, that uh, spring ball is going to start in the last week of March, and the red-white game will be on May 1. Um, just when you look at it, these kids will get eight to nine weeks of good winter conditioning. It's a later spring. I mean, there's a lot there to kind of chew on when you look at just Nebraska moving this spring deeper into the calendar. Well, yeah, and, and um, you know, not only, I think, is it going to be interesting to, to kind of see how that all plays out with the current roster, but you mentioned the early enrollees, 12 kids are going to be stepping foot on campus here as, uh, as mid-year enrollees. Um, and, you know, and I think that's going to, that's going to change your, your roster quite a bit. You know, we've never, we've never seen that many early enrollees uh, at one time. And so, uh, you know, and, and a lot of these guys, you know, from talking with them and being able to get to know them throughout the recruiting cycle, that they are laser focused. Uh, they're ready to get to work and, you know, they're, when you talk to them, sometimes you get the sense that some kids are ready to just kind of 
get to college, get away from mom and dad and, and kind of start their, start their college life, you know, and, um, and, and that you know, includes football, but also the, the social aspect of it and, and all of that. But these guys, they are, they're hungry. Uh, they're ready to get to work. And, um, you know, and that's, that's probably one of the things I like the most about this recruiting class. When you talk to these guys, they, they're a bunch of motivated guys that aren't, aren't really flashy or, you know, they don't really like to be out in the spotlight. They, they enjoy kind of getting to work. And so they're going to be, um, you know, here in Lincoln in just uh, less than a month uh, hitting the grind. And Nate, uh, you, you came out with some lists last week your final ranking list for both 2021 and then your early top 10 for 2022. I think everyone's takeaway is like, man, the town in Nebraska has gotten a lot better. Yeah, it really has. I mean, it's, it's pretty impressive when you look at, you know, just not only how many kids across the state are getting offers and, and where they're going and you know who they're signing with. But, um, you know, I think the, the, when you look at the amount of kids that Nebraska is offering, you know, is, I think in years past, we kind of became used to there being, you know, two or three kids that, that would get, you know, offers from the Huskers. And, and uh, there was always maybe one no brainer kid in the state uh, each year, maybe two that, that would get early offers. And then the rest would kind of be, you know, either camp evaluations or, or you know, senior evaluations. And that's not the case anymore, uh, at least the last few cycles. Last year, um, in, in 2021, they had offered seven in-state kids, and they've already offered five for the class of 2022. Um, and I think that you can make a strong argument that there's probably two or three kids in that 2022 class that, that don't have offers yet that very well may end up with them. And so, um, you know, when you, when you look at the, the potential to get seven, maybe eight kids out of the, the state of Nebraska. I mean, that's, that changes the way you recruit drastically. And, uh, and I think if you're Scott Frost, you've got to be pretty excited about the amount of talent that's coming out of the state right now. Yeah, you hope that Nebraska can get at least three, Nate, for 2022. But if they got four or five, I mean, it would be another great haul considering the, the visit limitations that could be pending. We just don't know when kids can come on campus again for a long time. Yeah, that's, that's a big question. you know. And, and I think there, there are a handful of those 2022 kids that have already been on campus, and I think that's a, that's a good thing. You know, uh, I think Deshaun Woods and Caden Helms, Micah Riley, um, Devon Jackson has been to a handful of games. I mean, the, the, the majority of those kids that have offers already have been on unofficial visits. But, um, yeah, you know, when you're, when you're looking at the uncertainty surrounding unofficial visits or, or spring evaluation period and, and all that stuff that kind of normally happens in the spring here or here over the next few months, um, you know, I think that uh, yeah, it'd, be, it'd be nice for the coaches to kind of have some answers or, or at least have a, a ballpark idea of what things are going to look like or what the recruiting calendar is going to look like here uh, over the coming months. Well, lots to keep up on here as the transfer portal never stops. There's obviously lots of movement and things happening, not only at Nebraska, but around the country, around the Big Ten and uh, recruiting never stops. So uh, make sure you log on to HuskerOnline.com as we will keep you up to date with the latest. Thanks again for joining us this week on Husker Online, your authority on Nebraska athletics. 